Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today's Monday, February 22nd, 2021. I hope you all had a great weekend. Today, I'm joined again by Dr. Stephanie Lamb to discuss contraception, also known as birth control. Stephanie's one of the doctors at Carnegie Women's Health located on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Almost all women over the course of their lifetime use some form of contraception, so we thought this would be a pretty relevant topic for our audience, and Stephanie is a pleasure to talk to and to listen to. I hope you all got a chance to hear our inaugural high-risk birth stories podcast last week. Our second one drops on Thursday, and I'll be joined by Andrew Cromer to talk about 24-week twins. Reminder that moving forward, we plan to drop a Healthful Woman podcast every Monday and a high-risk birth story every Thursday. For those of you new to podcasts, in order to get both of these podcasts automatically, go to Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to both podcasts. Also, if you like what you hear, please do give us a five-star rating and send us a review. I read every single one of them, and I really appreciate the feedback. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Hope to see you all this Thursday for high-risk birth stories. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Helpful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. All right, Steph Lamb, welcome back to the Healthful Woman podcast. It's so nice to see you. I was waiting for you to call me back for this. <laughs> I could not wait to do my next podcast. Yeah, uh, Lamb has been just just knocking down my door, just <laughs> really just please let me get on again. Please, well, actually, please. this topic in particular is actually one that I like to talk about. And I, we spent all day doing contraception. So this is going to be exciting, actually. Right, it is. I mean, even even though, you know, Stephanie is like one of the most personable, outgoing people on earth, she is not yet the podcaster deep within. We're getting it. You're we're gonna, converting me. Yeah, we're good. I'm just driving in into you're, like you're a- You're a natural. I'm not. So what? I would say- Like a nail I'm and trying, a hammer. Right. I'm trying to be like Fox when I grow up. We're in the month of January in 2021. You and I both received our second dose of the COVID vaccine in the Very past excited. week. Really and, excited. Uh, so yeah. So yeah, here we go. Back end of this, hopefully. One <laughs> can only dream that everyone can get access to this vaccine soon yeah. enough and that we can start to turn the corner because we need to move on. So yes, I was excited to get my second dose. Yeah. My uh, my mother-in-law got her dose, her first dose yesterday. My father got his first oh, dose good. yesterday. My mother has not yet gotten her first dose because they're in Illinois, my parents, and my dad got it through the hospital because he's a doctor. But uh -huh. My mother hasn't gotten hers, but it's starting slowly. My parents are going tomorrow. It's great. It's great. A, a little bit too slow, I would say, but better slowly than not at all. Correct. Excellent. So as you said before, we're going to talk about contraception today, which is clearly a topic that gynecologists talk about all the time. I mean, this is like pretty much everybody. Bread and butter. Yeah. This unless, is what unless, we do. Unless you're actually pregnant right at the time, at some point we're talking about contraception. And- how do you, is that a conversation that you just bring up or is everyone already talks to you about it? Or it's already happening or do you address it every visit? Patients come in for all different reasons. And usually when they're scheduling an appointment, we get a little mm -hmm. bit of a clue as to what they're, what they're coming in for. Sometimes they're coming in specifically because they want to go on birth control. We have a good number of very young patients who uh, are considering birth control for cycle reasons. We take, we give birth control for, to prevent pregnancy, but I would say it's something that I try to bring up in conversation at most of the visits, like the, the topic of, so where, where are you at? Are you thinking you're trying to get pregnant? Are you looking at holding off pregnancy? And it will come up most of the days for most of the patients. Right. And it's interesting because there is some conflating of this because on the one hand, contraception is specifically talking about Anti, th th right. Right, things people can do to not get pregnant, Correct. hence the word contra 
contraception, like conceive, right, against that. But one of the more common forms of contraception that we're going to talk about, which are you know hormonal like pills, are used for many other reasons. Yeah, like you said, for cycle control, uh, sometimes for pain. You know, there's a lot of reasons. So there's frequently times when we're talking about we call it contraception or birth control, but that's not the reason it's being used for you know either women who are you know going through perimenopause, right? right? They're, I yeah, mean, they're not sexually active even, or for teenagers, young girls who are not sure. And, I was curious, and this is really sort of an aside, but I thought we could address it now. When you're talking about, you know, that with, let's say, teens, and how do you sort of talk about, okay, we're going to do this and then sort of jump into, well, are you sexually active? Are you thinking about it? Is that something that you you decide person by person? Or do you say like, I'm always going to talk about that? How do you navigate that? Because I imagine it could be tricky based on the age. Depending upon the age of the patient, Mm -hmm. we usually will have a parent or um, a support person or somebody who's basically coming with the patient depending upon their age. Now, in the world of COVID, it's been a little tricky having that that, that kind of right. visitor in the office kind of experience. Right. But that parent or- Just turn off the Zoom for 10 correct. minutes. Yeah. Uh, will be either- I'm Zoom. muted, I'm muted. What I can't happened? hear you. What are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean you're sexually active? Uh, so usually, depending upon the age of the patient, we will try to include someone in their family uh, right. to be part of the conversation. I do not believe in the taboo of not talking about sexuality. I think, are you sexually active? Do you have a male or female pa- partner? is should be a question that that we're asked and we shouldn't feel uncomfortable with it. And I think it makes the patients happy. Now, do they want to necessarily answer honestly all the time in front of their mom? That's a trickier con- you know, right. discussion. But yeah, I usually will bring it up with the 15s because they're, they're, they're having sex. Right. Not all of them, but there's a lot that are yeah. out there sexually active. And I think if you assume that they're not or you don't want to talk about it, then you cannot pick the right form of birth control for that patient. Many of the forms of birth control will not protect against Sexually transmitted diseases. And diseases. Some will, but many won't. And so again, if let's say, you know, a girl's coming, she's like, oh, I'm going to get the pill for cycle control and now I'm okay. Like if you don't have that conversation, right. she may not, she may not know it or she may end up being at risk for getting certain infections. And, and it's I have a daughter. I mean, that. I have a daughter now who's 11 and I, who's very, she's just young in lots of different ways, but I eventually one day, and I'm having the conversations easily easily now, but you have to prepare them because if they think that they're taking birth control for cycle purposes, their periods are crazy, they're heavy, they're so uncomfortable, the pediatrician sends them into me. And I don't say to them, well, you know, this will protect you for your cycles, but it may protect you also for pregnancy. But if you don't use that condom, you're going to come back to me with some sexually transmitted disease. I'm doing her a huge disservice. So I usually try to do the conversation in a, in a little way, at least once. And then usually if we're starting, most people on birth control, I try to touch base with them within a couple of months to see how they're doing on the, on the pill or IUD or whatever it is. I'm curious in your practice, again, just because we're on this topic, when this does come up and let's say it's the parent, you know, the mother who's with her, is that something that when it comes up, most of the time the mother is like on board, like, yeah, we need to discuss this, this is important? Or most of the time the mother's like, what the hell are we talking about here? Why are we talking about this? This is insane. Because I imagine the you go either way. Sexual activity perspective? Yes, yeah, sexual activity and contraception, all these things. I think most of them actually may get a little uncomfortable depending upon 
where the patient's from, you know, how savvy they are, that type of thing, if they have a boyfriend or don't have a boyfriend. But usually the patient, if they're coming in and they're sexually active and they're looking for a birth control option from that perspective, Mm -hmm. not just bleeding, their mom's been informed that they're coming in for that reason. If they're coming in for bleeding, I feel like you may have to navigate the conversation in a way. And the patient's parents or whoever's coming with them is usually fairly receptive. And I usually say to the patient, am I free to ask questions you know, with your mom present, like if, if you feel like there's some answers that you want to describe in other ways, um, usually the mom will say, no, 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 I understand. I can step out or you can ask her privately. Um, they're, they're usually receptive. Yeah. I would think that there's obviously some parents who would just be so, you know, shock and horror over this, that they just, you know, collapse. Collapse. But I think a lot, and listen, I'm a parent and I have teenagers. I think the vast majority of parents are like, Please God, can Take you handle this, this instead right? of yes. me? Like, please, please, can I load this yeah. off of my plate? Right. I would, don't want to talk about this. Right. If I can outsource that whole part of you know child rearing to somebody else, thank God. Like that's unbelievable. And, and it I think also a lot creates it is they're relieved. And then it, I I always say to the patient, you know, I'm I'm always here for you to call me to have discussions on any of the different topics. And the moms usually or whoever's coming with them is also very relieved. Like, yeah. okay, you can now reach out to your gynecologist <laughs> and I support you. Please, you know, lots of different questions. You don't have to come to me. But yeah, the parents are usually fine. Getting back to the general topic of contraception or birth control, when you're approaching this topic with somebody or they're approaching it with you, in terms of all the options, how do you even begin? Because there's a lot of options. And so how do you begin that that conversation? Sometimes, and when patients come in and they say that they want to talk about birth control, I always ask them, is there a particular type of birth control that you came in thinking that you were interested in? So mm-hmm. I always kind of have an open-ended question, like guide me as to where you think you're going. I usually break it down that there's hormonal and non-hormonal forms of birth control. So there's just two categories to start out with. And then there's the most effective going down to the, the least effective. Right. Obviously, the most effective form of birth controls are the IUD. They are sterilization. Um, and they are implants like the Nexplanon. Right. And depending upon which way the patient says, like, I have no interest in hormonal birth control, then it cuts my conversation down by more than 50%. And I guide it that way. If patients come in and they say, I'm interested in an IUD per se, which social media has blown up the IUD topic in general. It's the, one of the most popular forms of birth control in this country. Then it's easy because there's four different choices and I right. narrow it down that way. But I usually will incorporate the conversation a little bit on everything. But I start out with, are you looking for some hormones or no hormones? And I also guide it based upon age and what their symptoms are. Right. If patients come in and they have very heavy periods, they're very uncomfortable, they would benefit from a hormonal form of birth control. It will make their periods much lighter. It will protect them from you know, getting pregnant. And it's just kind of becomes this thought process of how I could break it down based upon what they're thinking. Right. And I think there's also the idea of what what is their goal? Like for yeah. some people, Short-term, their goal long-term. is, yeah, like I'm, I need three months, I need six months, I need the rest of my life. Other people, it's, you know, like... Uh, I'd be okay if I got pregnant, but I don't sure. want to get pregnant versus or like, I versus no like, I cannot done. get pregnant. Right. Yeah. This is it. <laughs> yeah. And we see patients here, um, like I said, from the very young to the perimenopausal to menopause, right. we see patients at postpartum visits and exactly why they're coming to us. Everyone's completely different. So for someone who's thinking very short term, I would lean against an IUD because right. that would really be ideally meant for more longer term. If they want no hormones, then it breaks it down into a different way. So I think the conversation doesn't have to be more than five minutes. It's actually pretty quick that you can get an idea of what they're looking for. But we do try to tailor it right to the individual patient. Like there's no two forms of birth control that are right for the same person. Exactly. And I think that we're going to go through each of the forms and sort of what are the 
pros and cons. Yeah, pros and cons, how effective, not effective, what does it mean, which is, you know, really helpful. And then sort of based on all those, you have to take, you know, what exactly are we looking for and what's the situation at hand, decide which one would be the right thing for that particular woman. Okay, so let's let's start. So obviously not having sex is one way to not get pregnant. That works. It works. <laughs> it definitely works, it works. Unless you're going to an IVF doctor, in which case you can get pregnant, pregnant. all the time without having sex. Correct. That's uh but and other they'll other appreciate that. they'll appreciate the plug on that one yeah. for sure. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that tends to be the most expensive form. Um <laughs> okay, so let's start with things um I just sort of put them down with things that don't work so well. So what is called the uh, in Latin, the uh, coitus interruptus, which is a really fancy medical term that, you know, is odd. Yes. But it's basically pulling out. The withdrawal method. Right, withdrawal method. And why does it not work so well? Every single month, every single patient can ovulate at different points. And right. so if you try to either time and withdraw mm. at a certain point, thinking mm. that you're going to not get pregnant, there's still an, a certain amount of ejaculate that may right. actually get inside the vagina mm. and you could still conceive on your own. So the the withdrawal method, the pull and pray, however you want to state it <laughs> for, <and> for <laughs> lots of different people is not a very effective form of birth control. And it's probably way less than 75% as right. far as a form of birth control for patients. But for patients who think uh, that they have no interest in hormones and no interest in birth control. It's out there. People do it. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, it is certainly, you're less likely to get pregnant using that method than not using it. Correct. It's just not reliable enough in Correct. the sense that you there's really- Because there's pre-ejaculate, there's really ejaculate, matters. there may be some inside the vagina, depending yeah. upon if you're at the very fertile time of the month, it may only take a little bit and it is definitely not 100%. Right. And the same is true what you were referring to before, this idea of uh, you know either timed, timed or inter- rhythm- Method. I think the rhythm method is you have to like have like Barry White playing in the background. You want good music <laughs> at the time that you so, do. Yeah. So, but that's the idea where you try to calculate when is she going to ovulate and just not have sex during that time period. Right. And again, it is more likely to be effective than not doing that. But since you don't know for sure when someone's going to ovulate, it doesn't tend to work. And so these are things that, for example, are not recommended for like teenagers, for example. You know, this is sign like, all right, you have people that are like, If you have someone, as far as the rhythm method goes, if you have somebody who is open to getting pregnant, hypothetically, Mm -hmm. because it's not that, that, that effective, if you have a very predictable cycle, if you happen to know that you are a 28 day cycle and that you know that you are ovulating at a certain time of the month, get within certain days, that would be a fairly decent. If you are an immature younger patient or someone who has cycles that are all over the place, it's a setup for disaster. It may right. not be very effective. Right. Okay. So let's move on to sort of the next level, things that work a little bit better. So talk about spermicides. There's the next category, which would probably be a third tier as far as efficacy, the over-the-counter preparations right. that you can go to your local pharmacy. Spermicides have been on the market forever and ever and ever. They can be used alone or they can be used with other forms of birth control, such as a diaphragm or a condom. They require you to place it around the time of intercourse, uh, a generous amount of of spermicide to some degree. You're looking at a failure rate probably of somewhere at least 18 people out of 100. It may not necessarily work well for. So it's not- Meaning meaning they'll get pregnant. Correct. Right. It is not very effective. It's decent. Right. And it's definitely an option for patients who are looking for an over-the-counter preparation. And it it increases efficacy when you join it with a different form of birth control, Mm -hmm. such as condoms 
or diaphragm, mm-hmm. but alone, it's not the um, best form of birth control. For some patients, they may, for, for women, they may have a sensitivity to the spermicide. It may increase irritation, yeast infections, bacterial infections. So they may notice some irritation with the spermicide itself, but it's definitely out there and it's been around for years and years. Right. And how are they marketed? They're, they're gels, they're films, they're tabs. Like what is it that they, as everything? They, they come in all different forms. Mm-hmm. The most popular probably would be the gel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes in a tube. Uh, there's a VCF film that has like a spermicide component to it. That's an over-the-counter preparation mm-hmm. as well. Once again, I, I think for some of our patients who are looking for short-term forms of birth control, they don't do well. They say, quote unquote, that they don't do well with hormonal forms of birth control. Uh, it's definitely an option that's out there. Right. And then uh, tell us about the diaphragm. What is that? So the diaphragm used to be quite popular right. years years ago, uh, and then it fell out of favor, and it kind of made a little bit of a resurgence, I think, now. It's a barrier form of birth control. So literally, it, it has a ring um, mm-hmm. on the outside that's collapsible, and it has a film on the inside that mm-hmm. uh, has no holes, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and you fill that diaphragm with mm-hmm. some spermicide prior to placing it inside. Ideally, it's placed approximately 30 minutes before intercourse. It is not hard to place. Nowadays, it's one size fits all practically. It's easily prescribed by your uh, gynecologist. Right, because you used to have to get fit for a diaphragm, right? What size are you? They were all different sizes. And they ran from, you know, certain sizes in millimeters to a little bit larger. um, And we would have the patients come in and fit them. And now there's just kind of this one size diaphragm that pretty much has taken Mm -hmm. over the market. You have to leave it in for a period of time after intercourse for an order for the semen um, to kind of stay with the spermicide so that you don't pull it out and get pregnant. I think for patients, once again, it's in the third tier of efficacy to some degree. Um, Patients don't necessarily aren't uncomfortable. It doesn't bother them. It may bother patients' partners. They mm-hmm. may feel it like they're hitting something right. and that may not be so pleasurable, but it's it's not one of the most effective forms of birth control out there. Right. It also may, depending upon if you're prone towards urinary tract infections and yeast infections and such, you may have a higher risk of developing those if you're using the diaphragm. Right. Why, why did it fall out of favor? I mean, it was definitely used, I mean, 20 years ago, it was much, much more common. Is it just because it was inconvenient or because it wasn't as efficacious or I mean it's it, it's definitely not as efficacious mm-hmm. number 1 two it's it's not as user friendly you have to be comfortable i think a little bit with your body that you're right willing to put it in beforehand. It requires some knowledge of intercourse. The spontaneity of it is a little bit less, you know, let's let's do this. And you also have to remember to take it out a period of time afterwards. But I do think it has come back because patients in general, I, I don't know about nowadays, but are leaning less towards hormones. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are a lot of patients that come in specifically and say, I don't want a hormonal form of birth control. I mm-hmm. just want my, my body to be my body. Right. This is a perfect form of birth control for them. Right. And there are also some women who, for medical reasons, really can't, can't. take hormonal birth Correct. control. It's the minority, but there are some. And for them, they're like, listen, what am I supposed to do? Right. These are my options. And, right. and it fits into a very good form of birth control that's accessible to lots of people. You can get it through your local pharmacy. We write a prescription with some refills. The cleaning afterwards is really easy. Some soap and water, you let it air dry. You as a female are taking mm-hmm. control of, of this form of birth control as opposed to a male condom, which to right. some degree, then you're waiting for the male to be responsible for the form of birth control. So right. this puts the power in the woman's hands a little bit more. And just to be clear, the diaphragm, even though it is a barrier, it's really just a barrier to semen and sperm, not to infections, correct? correct? It does not protect against infections. It is not. The right. only one that's really, that we say is effective to decrease the risk of transmission for HIV and sexually transmitted diseases are the male condom. Right. So let's talk about that next. So condoms are obviously barrier contraceptive. They're quite effective uh, in regard to pregnancy. Yep. They are 
easily accessible. Uh, any any person mm-hmm. can go into a pharmacy and pick up a condom. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should. There are different sizes mm-hmm. for the condoms, so we hope that when uh, the male per- partner is picking up a condom, that they are being accurate as far as the size, because a poorly fit condom will not be very effective form of birth control. It is the number one form of birth control that will decrease the risk of transmission for sexually transmitted diseases and is the gold standard for that. So if I have a patient who comes in, is interested in birth control, and they have a new partner, the condom always goes hand in hand with another form of birth control. Right. It is fairly effective in perfect use. I think they say it can go anywhere from, you know, maybe 10 to 15 out of 100 to all the way in perfect use to as few as five out of 100 getting pregnant. So if it's well fit, if it's perfectly used, if you add spermicide on top of it, it is a very good form of birth control. Right. Excellent. And it, and again, it's it's the only one that's really going to reduce the rate of infections. Yeah. And so someone is either going to rely on that alone Correct. or that plus something else that if they want, if they want to you know lower their chance of getting pregnant on top of that. Okay. And then from there, the most I guess common, I would say, other than condoms, would be the hormonal, like the pills. Yep. How do contraceptive pills work? Like, what what happens? So there's different types of pills uh, that we break down to either monophasic, which is the same dose every single day that you take a pill, or you could have a triphasic pill, which is a different dose every week, hypothetically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the ingredients in the pill vary from brand to brand. You have pills that can be progesterone only, one single hormone, or you can have combination, which is estrogen and progesterone. But the whole goal is, is that it prevents ovulation. So essentially right. your hormones that we're taking in a pill will supersede the hormones that are being produced in your body. They will prevent ovulation and allow you not to get pregnant. There are so many different pills out there on the market and there's so many options, but basically, you know, they all have progesterone, some form of progesterone. It's actually not technically progesterone. It's something that's made to look like progesterone, but whatever, it's a detail. And most of them will have an estrogen component. And the only thing that differentiates the pills one from another is number one, the dose of the estrogen, meaning everybody uses the same estrogen. It's just how much is in there, ranging from zero to a certain number. Correct. And the second one is which type of progesterone. So that's where it really gets varied. And so you can imagine you have, you know, six different doses of estrogen times it's hard. six I different types of progesterone, and each of those have doses. And that's why there's so many on the market. I could give yeah. the same pill to 10 different women, and yeah. I will say, Two will say they love it. Three will say that they're <laughs> yeah. fine with it. Two will say that they hate it. And it could be the same pill right. and someone who you think. So how you choose the pill, it's, right. it's kind of like anything in medicine. You develop your favorites, right? right? You find the ones that patients don't complain about the most, that they mm-hmm. seem to have less bleeding profile with, um, that they don't feel... Because the biggest complaints that we will hear from patients, I'm, I'm, I'm getting breakthrough bleeding or spotting. I feel super moody or mm-hmm. emotional. Uh, they will complain that they feel like they're they're gaining weight or mm-hmm. they feel puffy or bloated. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that you want to do is prescribe a pill that they're going to call you back and complain on. So right. when I look at the patient, I kind of look at the age of the patient. I look at how heavy she is. Is she very thin? Mm-hmm. Is she a little bit heavier? Has she taken the pill in the past? Right. Like, and I always start out with, have, well, have you ever been on the pill? And what was what did you take? And if you liked it... I usually will write them for what they have taken before. You know, if, right. it, if it was a winner before, why would I switch right. it? And if they haven't, like something in the past, is it, once again, is it a different dose every day or week? Or right. uh, maybe the progesterone wasn't ideal for them. And so it, you kind of play with it a little and there's no right pill for anybody. Yeah. And I think one of the important lessons there is that if someone starts a pill and, 
you know, you find that it doesn't sit well with you, you don't like the side effects, or there are so many other options. It does not mean that you are not going to find the right pill. I mean, you can keep, I mean, trying for years. I mean, it's possibly, but you can keep switching. But I think most of us would say to the patient, you really do have to try to give it two to three months before you say you love it or you hate it. I mean, clearly if you start it and you're having no issues, that's amazing. And I'm the best gynecologist in the world winner. But if it doesn't, and you're feeling off the first month or two, I usually say, stick with it. Most of your symptoms will settle in by month two or three, and then you should be doing great. But once again, just because the first pill didn't work, that's the beauty of the pill. Then I right. can start with something and then kind of go off yeah, of based it on a what the side based upon is. what their side right. effects are. Do you need are? more estrogen? Do you need less estrogen? Do you Correct. need a different progesterone? And, and also one of the interesting things is they were sort of, when they were made, they were sort of designed to mimic a typical, typical quote cycle. cycle. So they were done. You get three, you know, in a 28 pack, you know, 28 pill pack. The first 21 pills or three weeks, three weeks. would have hormones. And the last seven would have a placebo or nothing or maybe some iron or whatever. And that sort of mimics what happens naturally to the hormones in a woman's body. They go up and then after they start dropping, dropping. your period. And so on the pill, you know, the cycle is very controlled. Everyone got their, you know, their period, you know, after the, you know, when the placebo started, you have it for five days and it's very predictable, but it doesn't have to be that way. No. Right. So there are formulations that are actually marketed so that you take active hormones for three months and you only get a period every three months or four times a year. There was the, a pill uh, that was tried yeah. for a year. Yeah. I mean, there was a pill that came out on the market. Sure. The goal was, and also how we choose to try to pick a pill. Do patients suffer with migraines? Correct. Do they have endometriosis? Do they have other underlying medical conditions that if they get their period, they are just, they can't go to work. They can't go to school. Well, for those patients, then I would try to think, well, how can I give them less cycles in a year. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what the gynecologist does. We take a detailed history. We try to figure out what you're coming in for, what your major complaints are. If it's just straight up birth control, you're young, you're healthy, you have no medical problems to find, you may be fine with a three week on one week yeah. off. There's new pills now that are 24 day pills, Right. Um, 24 days of active pills. And four of them are sugar, placebo, or a combination mm. of all. And that would make your periods much lighter. You're off right. of hormones much less. Uh, there's the lowest doses to the, the what used to be a high dose. Those yeah. have, those aren't as popular as well. Um, but if you're somebody who suffers with migraines or you're uncomfortable, we can bring your periods every three months or, or yeah. play it up. Yeah, and in all the, in all the pills that have the same dose, what you like, what you call the monophasic, monophasic, all of those can be done in a way. That's why someone could take, you know, let's say they just for one cycle want to extend by a week potentially. I mean, there's things you can do if you know what you're doing. Correct. I, yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't, and I usually say to the patients, yeah, don't, don't, try get, this at home. don't get yeah. fancy the first month. That's when yeah. problems happen. But if you're right. on the pill and you're hypothetically going on vacation and you need to skip a week mm-hmm. or there's something going on in your life and you right. don't want to get your period, the pill gives you flexibility and allows you to play with it a little bit. I would hope that you would reach out to us <laughs> before you try to do it on your own. But there's some, there's some, ba- you could play yeah. around with the pill a little bit. Right. And I know when I discuss this with women, a lot of them sort of their gut reactions that that can't be healthy, that that's, that seems like a bad idea to not get your period every month. And what I try to remind them is that, you know, in nature, right, women did not get their period every month because typically, no, I mean, they're typically they were pregnant. Right. And after they after they delivered, they were nursing. And so during both those times, it could be 18 months without a period. Yeah. And then they would, you know, stop nursing or wean or get a period. And then they would usually maybe get, get pregnant, pregnant again. again. So I say like in nature, it, it's it's actually unusual. This is probably the first 
you know, hundred years where women would expect to get a period every month. Right. And so it's and the only reason you're getting a period yeah. is because you didn't get pregnant. Right. right? Exactly. That's really <laughs> the, the way that I try to explain it to the patients. If you got a period, it's because you did not ovulate, get pregnant, and therefore your right. lining basically started to withdraw and you got a period. Um, and there's nothing unhealthy about not getting a period on a monthly basis. So for patients who we put on a three month pill or the, the one year pill probably I, is the least popular of all. And I haven't prescribed it for mm. longer periods of time, but some patients go six months, et cetera. Yeah. There is no increased risk to you from a fertility perspective or a cancer perspective by right. not getting a, by, by not getting a period. Correct. And I, I think that's a really important point. And I think that, again, like you said, there are other benefits for some women, either symptoms or some women they get very heavy periods and they're anemic or some women get sure. a lot of pain during their periods. And so there's other reasons that someone might choose to do a hormonal contraception and sort of, you know, under the care of her gynecologist, yeah, tinker with it to make it to, to work, to, you know, to adjust to what works for her. Now, some of these we don't give when women are nursing, for example, Correct. And but it's not a safety issue. It's really just an issue of whether it's going to affect her breast milk. People again think, is it not safe for the baby? You know, no, to no, be no, yeah, right. it's just about how much breast milk is she going to make? So we typically lean towards giving patients when we see them at the postpartum visit, we always have a contraception discussion with them because ideally we don't want them getting pregnant too quickly after right. they just had a baby. And they usually don't either. And they usually don't <laughs> want to either. <laughs> and so if they are breastfeeding, we do typically do recommend a progesterone only form of birth control or a non-hormonal form of birth control for those patients because there have been some studies that have looked at estrogen in the pill uh, that it may affect the breast milk supply. Mm -hmm. And so ideally, if a patient uh, would like to go on birth control and they're interested in a pill, we would put them on what we used to call the mini pill or Micronor. Uh, there's another new brand called Slind, but a progesterone only based mm -hmm. pill that should not affect the breast milk supply. We also offer patients the IUD at their right. postpartum visit, which is a really popular form of birth control. They don't have to think about taking a pill. I mean, life is crazy when you're a new mom. And so taking one thing away from them, a pill a day that they may not be so able to multitask. The progesterone only pill, and even though it's a very effective form of pill, it really does need to be taken the same time right. of day every day. It's a little finicky. It's a little yeah. finicky. And it's got only one hormone in it. Yeah. So for those patients, you really do have to tell them same time of day, every single day for the progesterone only pill. It is a good form of birth control. And if uh, it should really hold them from a bleeding perspective, they shouldn't have too many issues. Right. Once they play with their breast milk supply a little bit, they may get some right. more breakthrough bleeding and have some bleeding issues, at right. which point we could change them. But now, yes. Now, why would women who are nursing need any form of contraception if they're nursing exclusively? So for patients who obviously are breastfeeding, there's a hormone called prolactin. That prolactin goes quite high when they're mm -hmm. breastfeeding. And it's a very for good form of birth control, probably somewhere around 75 or 80% mm -hmm. chance of not getting pregnant while you're breastfeeding exclusively. Right. It lowers estrogen levels, but it's certainly not 100%. Right. And the problem is, is, is depending upon how your baby is feeding and if you're spacing out your feeds or you're adding more bottles, the efficacy of that prolactin and, and breastfeeding as a form of birth control becomes less. And so we usually tell patients not to rely just on breastfeeding as a form of birth control and to encourage them to either use condoms at the very least. You could use withdrawal method on right. that phrase that we talked about before. Uh, IUD mini pill or something over the counter like a VCF at the very least, right, just to lower the chances. Just to lower the chances. And so we we had a totally separate podcast with um with Caroline Friedman on the IUDs and the larks, and so we don't have to go into that because that's a Great. whole other discussion. Right, she did an awesome job. Yeah, she always does. She always does. Yeah. At, at what point do either you bring up or do patients bring up permanent? Um, what we call permanent sterilization. sterilization. Yeah. So like getting their tubes tied, so to speak, or vasectomy. So 
I would say the most uh, most popular form of birth control in the world is Mm. sterilization when you look at the entire globe. Here in the United States, I think the pill and hormonal forms of birth control, including the LARC, is still slightly more um, common than permanent sterilization. But I do always bring up permanent form of sterilization, usually while a patient is pregnant, Mm -hmm. if they have a high-risk pregnancy, if it would not be encouraged for them to get pregnant in the future, if they mention to me that they think that they're done having children, like if they know that they don't want any more kids. Right. Especially if they're Especially having a cesarean. Especially if they're having a cesarean section. Yeah. It's the perfect time. Deciding to do permanent sterilization, there are some caveats. You have to sign paperwork. It has to be done with a certain number of days, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to be a little bit more forward thinking when you look at a patient that you're thinking about that for. But the male form of sterilization really is a, it requires just a male to go to his urologist. Uh, the procedure is so simple and men are, no offense to you, but babies, and they really are not that None taken. I speak for all men that we agree. We agree. We are all, we are babies. You have no interest. Particularly in, in that region. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So it's easy. It's quick. It has really right. no long term. We'll go. Risks. We'll go and get tattoos. We'll go and you know, we'll do all that. But oh, it's over there. Forget it. Right. Yeah. Gutters. You'll clean out. You'll do all these fancy things. No problem. But the only downside of the male sterilization is that you do have to use backup birth control for three months afterwards because right. it is not fully effective. Typically, for the male sterilization, we do have them get a semen analysis before mm. we do give them the clear. But I think for patients who have a large family or or know that they're done doesn't even have to be large they can right. have one child but know that they're done with childbearing high risk meaning that their pregnancies right. are not conducive to getting pregnant again mm-hmm. or they have medical conditions themselves that would really not benefit i think it's a great form of birth control obviously and it's the most of quote unquote the most effective although the lark equals that yeah i think people don't always realize that it it is obviously quite effective uh nothing's 100 percent. people can get pregnant after these procedures but it's very very rare but the same with an IUD. If it's in there, it's very, very rare to get pregnant. I mean, I mean the they same. all are quoted yeah. at 99.99%. Yeah. And that yeah. includes even the next planon or the implanon, yeah. which is basically the little rod that gets placed under the skin. Uh, there, That's in the same tier as being equally effective. Right. And so, you know, we went through all the options and there are so many. And so if someone knows what they want, right? Okay, it's a lot easier. But let's say someone doesn't know what they want and they're starting for the first time. And you said you're going to find out in five minutes, basically. Like, what are the four questions you're going to ask them to sort of get sort of get right at it? Let's assume it's a, it's it's um 22 year old. Oh, now you're woman. Pay, okay. Uh, you know, I mean, what are the questions you would ask her to figure out what her, what what's best for her? Are you sexually active currently? Right. Obviously, they're coming in probably for birth control, not for bleeding issues, mm. but for protection for mm. birth control. Obviously, that they have a male partner. So. Mm. Are you in a monogamous relationship? Are you interested or are you capable of taking a pill on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. Or if not, are you looking for something that's more long-term that you don't have to think about? Mm-hmm. And are you thinking about getting pregnant in the short term or long-term would be right. how I would narrow it down to start. And then do you have any any menstrual concerns or complaints that would lean me more towards pushing towards a hormonal form of birth control? Like terrible periods, et cetera, right. as opposed to maybe a copper IUD, which maybe would not be ideal in those patients. Those are very straightforward questions, obviously. And then in terms of the first one you said about being in a monogamous relationship, is that because if they are, the risk of infections is lower? And so they might be you know, uh, less, quote unquote, necessary uh, to use a condom? You know, the old school thought used to be that we, back in the day when the IUD was less popular and the Dalcon shield was there and there was lots of risks for infection in the uterus itself, mm. those strings have been changed and those have all been debunked. Like the mm. IUD is one of the best forms of birth control on the market. Mm. And I think we here put in a ton of it. I mean, I, I love yeah. the IUD. 
But if you have a patient who has really got multiple partners, is going to be a, really an increased risk for sexually transmitted diseases, those patients should be using condoms regardless. Don't get right. me wrong. But I think if you have a T or a strings sitting there and they're not going to be very careful, um, it just can slightly increase your risk of other long-term issues mm. um, that I would maybe just put in the back of my brain to right. be careful on. But there is no reason that if someone's in another issue to be debunked is if you've never had kids, you can't have an IUD. That is right. not true. Right. You know, anyone can have an IUD. So I think all forms of birth control can be used for almost all forms of patients. But if they're young and they're not going to remember a pill, mm-hmm. then you're looking at something that takes that away from them, such as injectables, uh, an implant or an IUD um, as a good form of birth control. Okay. And then sort of the last thing I want to ask you is how do you address women who are uh, progressing in their 40s? Meaning because at some point they're going to not you know, they're not going to be able to get pregnant, they're going to be menopausal, but until then they sort of can, but it's less likely. And do you just, is there like a certain age cut off? You say, you know, use regular birth, you know, contraception until you hit menopause or it's do you hard. Sort of change I, it? I remember talking to Bender once and he said, uh, he, he sees a good number of what we like to call oopsies, women who think <laughs> that they cannot get pregnant, they mm-hmm. didn't use birth control, and then they walk in the office that they think that they're not getting their period for other reasons, and they are pregnant. So yes, the older that we become as women, our fertility levels definitely decrease, but they are not zero until you completely stop getting your period mm-hmm. almost. And the issues for women as we get older in our 40s are definitely heavier periods, PMS-like symptoms, perimenopause-like symptoms. And I, for me, I as my practice has evolved a little bit as I've been doing this longer and longer. I see more patients in their late 40s and early 50s. I prescribe a lot of birth control, whether it's a pill or an IUD, to help transition them mm-hmm. um, through those th- through those phases and, and changes. So for for me, a patient may come in and say, "Well, I'm not that sexually active, hypothetically, mm-hmm. or I'm less worried about getting pregnant because I'm now 47 or 48." Mm-hmm but their periods are blistering or irregular, that's really where the pill can help transition you or an IUD mm-hmm. uh, to kind of carry you through to menopause. Fascinating. It is. The whole world of birth control, like you said, when we think of contraception, it's the op- you know to try not to get pregnant, but it's used for so many amazing things. And right. um, I think you could just, it's it really becomes like an art, uh, which pill you like, what you like to use. Um, and I think Friedman's you know, talk on, on Larks was amazing because it has become a big part of our practice. Right. Yeah. And social media has just blown up the space of the Paragard and all the other forms of birth control of hormonal in a good way. way. Yeah. Right. People are people, we want people to get unwanted pregnancies fewer and fewer. Um, And so I I think there's just tons of great options and all you have to do is just call and make an appointment with your gynecologist and you know, you'll figure it out. Amazing. Steph Lamb. Thank you so much. See, you're going to have your own podcast soon. They'll come on as your guest. Uh, I will defer that to you. You can continue to hold the topic, but I'll come back to talk about something else if we're, you want. We're, we're going to try to really reduce the silence of the lamb. <laughs> <laughs> on that note. All right. Have a great one. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options 
for an effective treatment plan.